In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there's so much to be contemplated um, in view of tomorrow's Juneteenth celebration of a message of freedom for those once shackled, and in view of today's celebration of fatherly love, fatherly affection. But I'd like to offer two observations from the first two verses of today's epistle. But first, I'd like to tell you about my backup guitar. His name is Gibby. Now, I started playing the guitar when I was about 12 years old. But it wasn't until college that I acquired a really nice guitar. His name is Marty. It was due to a windfall that I was able to afford Marty. Rosewood back, crisp, clear, strong sounding. I played Marty a lot and in a lot of places, from youth camps to choir retreats to church worship services. I traveled enough with Marty that I started to get concerned that this beautiful, pricey guitar might get damaged. So a decade later, I'm in graduate school, I finally figure I need a secondhand clunker of a guitar that I could take camping, travel with, take to the beach, without worrying about whether it would get hurt or damaged or injured. I found Gibby in a used guitar shop. Kind of beat up, moderately priced, walnut back, and surprisingly sweet sounding. Gibby went with me to all those places I was afraid to take Marty. A couple of, day, a couple of decades later, I'm in another guitar shop, which happens to be a very dangerous place for me to be, and I see the exact same model as Gibby, my clunker backup guitar, in a display case offered at a price that I know is twice what Marty would sell for, my really nice guitar. I, I, I go home and I do a little online research. Turns out that Gibby's make and model from the early 1960s, though moderately priced, was famous for aging well. Now, all decent acoustic guitars get better with age as the sap that's still in the pores of the wood dries up, creating nice resonating air pockets inside the wood itself. Gibby's family of guitars does so exceptionally well. So the first thing I learned about the clunker I had to take, the, so the first thing I had to learn about the clunker that I had taken for granted, Gibby, was how valuable he is. The second thing I learned about Gibby was how much tech crews love it when I play Gibby plugged in. Now, Marty, with its nice, hard rosewood back, creates a big, bright sound and can fill many rooms with sound all by itself. But Gibby, my backup guitar, is a softer wood. Now, in a larger room, the sound can get lost. But interestingly, if you plug Gibby in, the sound system picks up the music after the sound bounces around inside the softwood, and the result is a really wonderful, rich, growly sound. Techies would go, that's your backup? Gibby sings so sweetly. 
He sings and dances. He wants you to hold him and play him. Just play. Let me listen. And so it is with the salvation that Paul describes today's verses in Romans. First, under the heading of pardon, freedom, justification, pardon for our sins is worth far more than we're inclined to think. Justification isn't just a backup, a clunker of a theological idea. And second, under the heading of peace and access, love, the God who saves you isn't content to just make a place for you in heaven. He loves to be with you. In your hands, he sings a sweet song of salvation and makes a dance of life like my techies just love to hear Gibby. First, pardon. Our passage opens with these words, having been justified therefore by faith. Praise God from whom all blessings flow that the first four chapters of the letter to the Romans are true. You and I, says Paul, were sick puppies. We were messed up. We were lost, we were confused, and we didn't care at all about that. We were just plain lost. Paul says that despite his profound anger at our sin, and despite our profound warping of the life that he had called us to live, God set forth his own dear son as a satisfaction for his wrath against our sin. And what Paul is saying in the first four chapters leading to the chapter we begin reading today is this. There's nothing that you and I have to do. There's nothing that you and I can do to make God no longer mad about our sin. We don't have to because he's taking care of it. He set forth his own son as his own offering in our place. And Paul says that the father set forth his son as payment for our sins so that he could be both just and justifier. He could be entirely right in calling you and me not guilty. This verse recalls the fact that God is a perfectly just judge and he is still maintaining his justice when he says of you and me, not guilty. A merely good judge can't do that because what a good judge does is judge justly. But... But because someone has come into the courtroom and said, Judge, I will take the rap. I will take the punishment. God can freely and rightly let us go free. That means that's really better than having a merely secondhand guitar. It's better than getting your ticket punched for the ride home. It means, praise God, if you've embraced Jesus Christ by faith, and if you haven't, please do. If you've given up trying to be right and be good, if you've let, let go into his hands, you really can wake up in the morning and say, I know one thing today, God's not mad at me anymore. God's not mad at me anymore. The judge does not look at me with a frown or a scowl, a, a scowl on his face. I've been set free. I'm not guilty anymore. The shackles are gone and I'm free. 
But then second, peace and access. Because the thought doesn't stop with having been justified by faith, cleared of legal offense. Paul goes on, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have come to have access by faith in this grace in which we have come to stand. Not just acquittal, but peace and access. The only way I know how to explain the heart of what Paul is doing at this point is to ask you to imagine the judge doing more than just judging justly and declaring you innocent because of the substitution of his son. You know, in the United States, nearly 80% of people who are incarcerated for a crime and then are released are back in court within five years. Just getting out of jail does not change your life. Well, imagine ours is a judge who first looks upon us and says, I know you're guilty, but I made this deal with my son that if he would give his life in your place, I'm going to declare you not guilty. And when I say you're not guilty, I mean you're really not guilty. But then imagine more. Second, imagine that ours is a judge who comes from behind the bench, takes off his robe and says, Come home with me. I know you only have bad places to go if I simply send you on your way. My table is yours. My time is yours. My estate is yours. My name is yours. The one who took your place is now your elder brother. And I love you like I love him. And I want you as my child as well. I want you to be with me. And I want to be with you. For good reason, Romans chapter 5 verse 8, the tail end of our reading this morning, is referred to as Paul's John 3.16. God proves his love for us in that while we were weak, While we were enemies, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In Christ, we're not just given a backup guitar. We're getting a player that we might have peace and access. Now, I don't know what your experience of your father was. And those of you who are fathers, I don't know what sort of father you are. But you know there are fathers and there are fathers. Michael Card, the well-known Nashville Christian singer-songwriter, talks about his father. Though likewise a good dad, Michael Card's father was a busy doctor. Dr. Card would come home, greet the kids, greet the family, and then he'd go into his study, shut the door, and keep going about his work at home. And little Michael Card talks about when he was a little kid, going to his father's office door, getting down on his hands and knees and putting his head on the floor, and through the gap under the door, he'd see his dad's shoes sitting under the desk. He'd see his dad walking back and forth in the office. And the future famous singer-songwriter would imagine going fishing with his dad or playing some baseball, thinking, wouldn't it be nice When Paul says we have peace and that we have access by faith in this grace in which we stand, 
What we're talking about is not just a judge who comes from behind the bar of justice and says, now I would be your father. Paul's talking about a father who says, I will give you me. I will spend time with you. I'm not going to come home and shut the door and leave you out there imagining what it would be like to be with me. I want to play catch with you. I want to go fishing with you. I want to go plant a garden with you. I want to go camping with you. I want to be with you. Now, I don't know if you have good pictures of that kind of fatherly love in your life or in your mental landscape. I have one I invite you to think about. Uh, Here's mine. When Sherry and I were first married, we got this Irish setter named Larry. Larry was 95 pounds of raw Irish setter energy. Now, Larry was probably the smartest dog who ever lived. Whenever we'd have guests over, Larry would sit on a couch and he'd put his hind end up on the couch. I would model it for you, but it doesn't look very gracious or graceful. He'd put his hind end up on the couch. He'd put his front paws down on the floor. And then he would just follow the conversation from one speaker to the. And he had these eyebrows that would like go back and forth. It was awesome. Larry was the coolest dog. Now, during my last year in seminary, we rented a little one-room apartment over a dry cleaning place. My desk was over in a corner, and I'd sit there working at my typewriter. Remember them? Typing away at my always late papers. Larry would hang out on the other side of the room. He would lie there, and he would lie there, and he would lie there. After a while, he couldn't stand it any longer because he wanted to be with me. And you could feel him coming. He would ball himself up and then he would race across the room and hurl all 95 pounds of himself across my hands on the typewriter, up on the desk, papers flying everywhere. And then he would look up and he'd go, ha ha, you want to play dad? And you know what? It wouldn't even occur to me not to play with Larry when Larry wanted to play. It didn't matter how late the paper was. I just melt inside because Larry wanted to be with me. And I wanted to be with him. You know, that's the kind of heavenly father we have. We don't have to worry about our dad being an empty presence He doesn't just come home, shut the door, and go in and pay attention to running the universe. He's not too busy for you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. Every morning, he's waiting for you to wake up in the morning because he wants to be with you a thousand times more than you want to be with him. When you weep, He knows what those tears feel like because in his son, he came among us. His son lived as one of us, knowing joy and sorrow. And when he stretched out his arms on that cross and took your wounds into him, the father, the father knows what it feels like to lose a son. Your heavenly father knows every sorrow as well as every joy that you have, and he wants to share them. So... Like Gibby, my old so-called backup guitar, your salvation, your justification, your relationship with your heavenly father isn't just serviceable. 
Your salvation is the most precious thing you have because it means you're not guilty anymore and it means that your heavenly father values you like you can't imagine. He is not mad at you. In fact, he rather likes you. Be with him because he delights in being with you. Amen. Amen.